Um, and tonight, we're going to be in Acts 2 once again. Uh, y'all like the title? Does anybody get it? Like what, what incarnation? Like what incarnation? That's not funny at all, is it? It's not like what incarnation am I talking about? It's supposed to be a pun. But it's not funny if you have to explain it. That's what they teach in seminary. Now, they don't teach that in seminary, but uh, maybe they should. It would save me um, a lot of work. I, I spend... Um, too long on the sermons. They say that uh, you're supposed to spend an hour for every minute that you're going to talk studying. I probably do that. Um, it's a lot of minutes, isn't it? Uh, I probably do that, um, but I might, I might spend uh, two, uh, an extra hour on titles sometimes. Uh, I, I shouldn't. Uh, I should just give up. Uh, but uh, we're talking about the incarnation. Um, this, was, this is a two-parter part two of last week's, um, uh, part two that we began last week uh, about how the church um, really uh, fulfills and fleshes out the Christmas promise, fulfills and fleshes out. We talked last week about how the church fulfills the Christmas promise. Uh, we're going to talk about how the church fleshes out, get it, incarnation, fleshes out. Thank you, see where we're going with that. Uh, but uh, so again, this is, a, this is part two of, 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 a, of a two-part message. If you were here last week, um, hopefully uh, you haven't forgot it. I know Christmas can put a lot of things behind and, you know, can take the place of a lot of memories. So we'll recap a little bit. But think of this as like a, you know, made-for-TV movie, 80 minutes long. Um, and uh, hopefully it will uh, come together. Um, Acts 2, we've spent a little while in Acts 2, but uh, sometimes I just can't get out of these texts because there's so much to say about them. Uh, and uh, this little passage at the end of Acts 2, which really gives us a snapshot of the early church, uh, really gives us a picture of the church in its earliest form. Uh, this little passage, I think, is so important. It's easy to skip over because it's just a summary. It's just sort of an interstitial um, kind of uh, a window into what the church was like and what it was doing. We usually skip over it because we, we know about Pentecost and we know about the miracles and we're ready to get to more action. But there's so much in this passage um, as we kind of began to talk about last week and we'll talk about again this week. Uh, and it, I think that it has, uh, that it has to do um, and it brings to the table um, uh, the fulfillment of the Christmas promise, uh, specifically, what does Jesus' incarnation mean, and how is the, how is the church continuing to live out um, his incarnation, as in his presence on earth, not just in a spiritual way, but in a physical way? And I think most of us kind of can kind of see where that's going, but hopefully, uh, if you can't, we'll get you there before the night is over with. Um, but uh, we talked a little bit, and uh, we've learned through our study so far is uh, about how the Christmas story, uh, and through the church, uh, we see the wonders of God. I don't have that on the screen, actually. I, I, I took it off. We see that the wonders of God took the wonder, the church took the wonders of God from being merely observational to being experiential. Uh, that remember in the Old Testament, there's a lot of things people could see, people could watch, but in the New Testament, it becomes hands-on. God becomes hands-on, becomes skin-on, but also he begins to work in people's lives. It's no longer just him on a mountain or him doing some spectacle for people to see. It's him doing something in the lives and hearts of people, real people in real situations, living real lives. And we begin to see that uh, to taken to its intended and desired uh, you know, end or extent in the book of Acts as the church gets started. So let's go ahead and read Acts 2, 40 through 47 once again to kind of get re-familiar with the text, and then we'll continue to talk about this um, experiential movement of God. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And, and that, that invitation is leading them into the church. Then those who gladly re received his word were baptized, and that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Added to who? To the church. 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily, or day to day, with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You hear repeated over and over again this idea of daily or day-to-day, again and again, house-to-house, that God was up to something. It was something they were experiencing in their own personal lives. Again, we talked about how Christmas bridges the gap from Old Testament to New Testament, from the old way to the new way, with the wonders being observed Old Testament style the night Jesus was born. Um, But in that same story and sequence of events, we see the wonders become experiential. Uh, The scene begins with a fireworks show in Old Testament fashion, angels proclaiming something big has happened, God has done something that can be observed, but then it becomes immensely personal. It's made clear that God was no longer locked behind some veil or, so, or that was exclusive to only a few, as demonstrated by Jesus becoming flesh, as Jesus being born in a stable, being laid in a manger, and was visited by common, unclean shepherds. And then those shepherds go and tell their world what they have seen and heard. We see very quickly in the New Testament, it goes from being something that people watched to something that people were hands-on with, experienced, something God was doing in the hearts of people, not just before their eyes. And we see this as telling of things to come. You could almost say that the first, the first church service took place in that stable. Jesus was the center of attention. Good news was heard and good news was spread based on that encounter. That sounds like a church service to me, doesn't it? Jesus was the one they came to see, the one they came to hear about, and when they left, they told everyone about it. That is the quintessential church service, if I've ever seen one or read about one. The wonders of God were unleashed on the world from that day forward, and through the church, Jesus and his spirit could be experienced henceforth. Again, emphasis on the word experience. Luke, who wrote the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, ends his gospel by alluding that there was more to come. Now, we all know the Christmas promise is God with us, but Luke teases out that something better was on the horizon because volume two of his book or of his writings talk about not just God with us, but God within us. Isn't that, isn't that ironic, or I don't think it's a coincidence that Luke 2, Jesus is born, God with us, but then in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes, God within us. Luke 2, the angels rejoice and favor is given to all people. In Acts 2, the, the people are praising God and favor is being spread amongst people. I don't think Luke, Luke did that by accident. I think there's something God is trying to say to us as Christmas was just the beginning of what God came to do among us and within us as he put his spear in the hearts of his people in Acts 2. Now Christmas ushered the brand new era where God being with us and working wonders in our midst was the brand new normal. When the Christmas season rolls around, I think we're a little more open to this. We're a little more sensitive to God doing wonderful things and being present in our midst. But when the season ends, it's almost like we kind of go back to normal. But what we learned last week is that Christmas shouldn't be a brief pause from normal. Christmas should be our normal. The atmosphere, the anticipation, the adoration that we give God, the sensitivity we have for God and for God's working in our lives, this should not be exclusive to Christmas. It should be the Christian standard 
What really sparked this conversation last week is that Acts 2, we observe, in Acts 2, we observe how the early church is in a similar spirit to those in Luke 2, and we talked about those parallels. However, their experience was not confined to a single day. In Acts 2, in Luke 2, it's one day, and then people go back to normal. But in Acts 2, we see that it's not about a single day, but as Acts 2.46 says, it was daily. That's so important. Listen, when I talk about the church tonight, I'm going to talk a lot about the church. I do that sometimes. When I talk about the church, I'm not just talking about what happens at 11 o'clock on Sundays, as important as that is. Because Acts 2 gives a picture clearly of church services, clearly of a time of worship, a time of study, and a time of learning. But what it gives me more and what it shows us more than that is a daily community, a daily atmosphere of God's people doing life together and being a part of his movement. We talked about this a few weeks ago. It was a movement, not just some monument. So that's very important to understand. But we see it was not a single day. It was day to day, house to house, emphasis on their lives apart from the gathering on Sunday. Now, what was the difference? Christianity was a lifestyle for them to live, not just a service they attended. With God working wonders in their heart, continuing to work wonders through their lives, we see this beyond just personal peace and joy, but they were relationally at a better place because of their relationship with God. And that should be the, that should be the standard for Christians. Because of where we are with God, we're at a better place with others. The favor that God had worked through them, uh, God had given them, he was working through them and extending it to other people. And we talked about how there's this, in, there's this in, intent, there's this part of the Christian message, the Christmas message, that we should never move past too quickly. We sing it in our Christmas songs about God and sinners being reconciled and how remarkable that is. But Christianity takes that farther. Because if God and sinner can be reconciled, then Christianity means that sinner and sinner should be reconciled. Because the more sinners that are reconciled with sinners, the more sinners are ultimately reconciled to God. So as God has reconciled us to himself, we go to the world and we knock those barriers of unforgiveness and bitterness and hatred down. And as we are reconciled to our brothers and sisters, as we are reconciled to our enemies, those people can be reconciled to God in the same manner that we have been reconciled to God. But you You cannot be reconciled to God and not have this spirit of reconciliation working in your heart. That is impossible for a Christian uh, to to, to not have. This was where Jesus, of course, led his church and where he led the the disciples. And we see in John 13 kind of the, 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 the part A and part B of this. In John 13, we're told that when Jesus was at the Feast of Passover, he knew his hour was coming to depart from the world, and he uses this night to love his own who were in the world, to love them to the end, not just to the last day, but he's going to love them to the full extent, or literally, he's going to show them the full measure of his love. Now, y'all know what he did that night. He took off his garment, he got on his, you know, he took, he put a servant's towel around his waist, and he washed their feet. He showed them how he loved them as he was washing their feet. He would then thereafter die for their sins so on this night he showed him them his love for them he showed them what he was going to do to reconcile them to God and how does he end that night how does he end that chapter he says to them 
A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How should you love one another? Just as I have loved you. I've shown you the full measure of my love. And as I have made it clear to you just how much I love you, or just how I love you, you are also to love one another. So as we have been reconciled to God, we have a responsibility to reconcile ourselves to others and to show others the reconciliation that God has given to us. Now, we sort of ran through this. I ran out of time to get to that last week. If I didn't make it clear enough, I wanted to show you why I felt the connection should be made between Christmas and the church's imperative to spread and share God's favor. Now, for part two of how the church has fulfilled and fleshed out the true spirit and promise of Christmas, how Christmas ultimately influences and shapes the church in more than just bringing us a seasonal service or two, I want to extend from the conversation uh, from last week, I want to extend this conversation to have a very important talk about the incarnation and how the local church is a direct result and reflection of the incarnation of Christ. So that's my thesis statement, if you will, for the night. That's the main point for tonight. And if I don't convince you, I, do a, I'm, I just did a bad job because I believe this is true. The local church is a direct result and reflection of of the incarnation, as in God becoming a man, a literal, physical man, the local church is a direct result and reflection of the incarnation of Christ. And I believe this is the greatest defense, not because I'm giving it, this is the greatest defense for why the local church is so essential and important. How Christmas shapes who we are, what we are, and how we are to communicate who we are, and how to, we are to demonstrate what we are, this may be the most powerful, again, not because of my delivery, but because I believe what God is revealing is so powerful. This may be the most powerful and clarifying defense for the local church you will find. I think it's that foundational and that fundamental to our identity. It articulates and captures the church's essence in a way that I've only recently understood and haven't previously used to support my convictions for the church, as strong as they've already been, and you've heard me say enough about the church and its importance, this is a brand new argument or a brand new platform for me. So if I'm a little rusty, forgive me. I feel this is actually far stronger than any defense or message I've ever given as to why the local church is so important. In that, it roots the church in the Christmas story. More than just in a spiritual and atmospheric way, that we've done with last week's message and we've done before, but it roots the church in the incarnation of Christ in a literal, tangible, flesh and blood kind of way. And really what started this, reading the scripture, doing some research and studying about this scripture a while back, um, I stumbled upon a, a, a quote, um, a, 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 theolo a theologian that I've read before and, and studied before, um, who is a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary in Texas, um, Dr. Michael Zweigel. I want you to listen to this quote or read this quote. The language of body of Christ rules out a strictly spiritual understanding of the church. Body is distinctly physical, incarnational, that's the key word, language. So he's talking about, and this is from an excerpt of a, talk, of, a, of, a, of a piece that he did about the body of Christ, how we call the church the body of Christ. And he says, he says, the idea that we refer to the church as the body rules out that we understand it as just some mere spiritual you know, group of people or some spiritual identity, but it literally brings our mind to the physical incarnation of Jesus. And again, that's pretty definitive, but I'll explain it a little better. We talk about how the church is in so many ways, or we talk about it in so many ways. 
Uh, we talk about the church physically. We talk about it spiritually. We talk about it locally. We talk about it universally. Sometimes you don't know what people are talking about. Are they talking about their church or the church or what's the difference? We talk about it um, literally and abstractly. I think it's important that we distinguish how the Bible talks about it lest we affirm the wrong things or deny the right things, which is easy to do. Now, let me get this out of the way. This message and my beliefs are evergreen and not sensitive to our particular season or isolated exceptions in that we are in the middle of a pandemic, and I know the church has been a little bit rattled and less attended, and that's a lot of reasons, and we understand that. But as in a pandemic or with regard to those physically unable or incapacitated or incarcerated in some ways, those are fringe cases, and these are fringe times. And what we faced in recent months are exceptions, not the common circumstances. So what we talk about tonight, I don't want to have to come back and say, but we're in a pandemic, so we have to understand that this is impossible right now as it was before or as it needs to be fully. So again, that's kind of all, we, we kind of understand that. Um, that being said, we found a way to overcome. The church and true believers always will. So Dr. Spiegel's conclusion draws specifically on the incarnation and uses it to build an argument for the importance of our membership in the local church as it is a direct representation and reflection of the incarnate Christ of the physical body of Christ. And again, I might be, you might be wondering what's the big deal. This is the big deal. God became a literal man. We know that. Jesus was a baby, and he lived to be a real man who was really killed and then really rose from the dead. God in heaven, it's all spiritual, but there is one physical being in heaven, and that is Jesus Christ, a man that's sitting on the throne of God. Jesus is a literal man, so we refer to the church as his body, a literal body. What is a literal body made up of? Members, right? The body of Christ is made up of literal people, literal men and women. So I, I, I say literal enough there to make this point. We often talk about the church in a spiritual sense. But there was nothing, there was nothing simply spiritual about Jesus' incarnation. He was a literal, breathing, flesh and blood man. So the church is to be understood primarily as a literal body of literal people. So what do we do here? Our participation and function as members of this local body, we are an extension of Christ's incarnation. So here's the amazing thing about Paul's New Testament letters and the other epistles that Peter and James and the other guys wrote. Paul refers to each local body as the body of Christ. When, he, when you read Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, all those books, he doesn't use abstract language to refer to some spiritual body, he refers to the literal bodies of believers in those churches. Again, with each local body, he calls them the body of Christ, referring to the literal people. He's not talking just spiritual abstractly. He's talking about the men and women that make those churches up. He's talking about y'all, real people. So with each body, God has ordained and identifies each local body as the body of Christ. And again, Jesus was born with a real body. He lived in heaven with a real body. He built the church to be full of real bodies. See where I'm going with this. The church is a body or is the body of Christ. 
So when Jesus says, we're two or three gather in my name, there I am. Yes, he means in spirit, but better than that, he means our bodies make up the body of Christ. That it's not just me and Jesus on my own. It's me and you and you and you and all of us because we make up the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, you are the body of Christ. Again, literal bodies. Jesus is a real body. His representation on earth right now is real bodies of real people just as when he came to earth, he was a real man. His representation on earth in his absence is real people that make up his church. We are individually members of his body. If I'm being redundant, it's because I'm trying to get this very clear. I think it's pretty incredible. It's easy to dunk on church in today's world. It's easy to treat churches like punching bags. It's also easy to see them like fast food restaurants and everybody offers their own variety of goods and services and some even have a playground. But we have to trust God who is sovereign. Jesus is the head of the church, of his own body. He calls the church his bride. I mean, that's a big deal, isn't it? Jesus, the church, is the bride of Christ. You don't get much more sacred than that. Risen church is the bride of Jesus Christ. He's not just betrothed to me or to you, but to us. Because we make up the body of Christ that is risen. Now we get to heaven, there are going to be more, there are going to be no more local bodies because there'll be one heavenly church. But Revelation 7 talks about a great multitude from every nation coming together to become one, the one bride of Christ. But until then, it is important that we don't misrepresent or undersell what it means to be a Christian. A Christian belongs to Christ. A Christian belongs to the body of Christ, a literal body made up of literal bodies. Which body? Well, there's a lot in today's world, isn't there? There are more choices than ever before. Now, this might be the most controversial statement. Not, it shouldn't be to y'all, but maybe to some. There is no excuse. There is no excuse for not being a member of a local church in 2020. None. There wasn't in the ancient world either, but there was just one body per town. But in today's world, there are many bodies on every street. Now, maybe they're all not where they should be, but there's no excuse as to if there is a body or not. There's plenty. There is zero excuse. I say this to you all on a Sunday night because you've got loved ones and friends who are not saved. Don't you? And there's never been a more inclusive time when it comes to church because there are all kinds of bodies and room for all kinds of bodies in each. And God forbid we go to somebody and say, church isn't important, you just need to talk to Jesus. No, church is essential. Because if, if they belong to Jesus, they belong to his body. And they will never grow as a member of his body if they don't belong to his body. So we need to quit lying to people because I think for the last 20 or 30 years, we started lying to people and saying, well, church isn't important. Just got, you just got to believe. You know what that created? That created a bunch of empty churches, but more importantly, it created a bunch of bodiless Christians. And there doesn't, there is no such thing as that. 
I also say this because I know that there are a lot of you who've got loved ones who profess to be saved, but they don't belong to a body. They may claim abstract and spiritually church affiliation, but as we've learned, the incarnation was a literal and local body of Jesus. The body of Christ, therefore, is literal and local. Make sense? There was a literal Jesus when he came to earth. There is a literal church, one on every corner. Mark Twain said you could swing a cat and you can hit one. And that was 150 years ago. You can hit one with a lot of cats. Now, I know, I know, no church is 100% perfect, but being a member of no church is 100% imperfect. Again, why am I saying this to y'all? Because we sometimes forget how essential our mission is, don't we? Are we responsible for those that are not members of a body? Maybe not, but what is Acts all about? Going and telling the Great Commission, growing the church. I feel like we love to talk about Jesus, but we don't love to invite people to Jesus. Or we don't feel like it's necessary. Now, now listen, listen. I'm very hardcore. About, I've been told I'm a little bit extreme about this. You would expect a pastor to be, but you know. I'm a little hardcore about this, I know. But every time I read Acts, I get more extreme about it. I can't help it. And I'm just, in, I'm just in chapter 2, so Lord knows what's going to happen when we get to chapter 15. But as I've been considering what the incarnation means and how it translates to the church's literal and local placement, I've become even more passionate about this. But more than I am, Jesus has the utmost passion for his church because his incarnation is proclaimed through the local church and his resurrection is punctuated by it. So it's our goal in 2021 to continue to let our community know that we take church seriously because we take Jesus seriously. In a world where people can go to church, they can go to 100 churches a day online, that's great, especially in these times. In a world where church has become a loose subject, in a world where church is an option, in a world where church is something that we do second or third on our list, I get it, I get it. The church... Jesus Christ and his kingdom need people who are as serious as he is about his body. How can we be serious about his body? How can we take serious our mission? Now, here's what I don't want. I don't want us to be bitter and us to be brute, brutish about it and us to be rude about it. That's not what the world needs. I don't want us to sit back and say, well, you know, we're here and nobody else is. It's their fault. That's not the goal. Because the church started with just a handful of people in a world that had never heard of Jesus, and they made a difference somehow, some way. So how can we take this mission seriously and do it in a loving way? How can we proclaim the incarnation and punctuate the resurrection? I think the answer is very simple, and it's right in front of us. It's right in front of us in a few overlooked verses. I want you to notice the formation and format of the earliest church on record. Look at verse 41. Those who gladly received his word were baptized. That's us. We've been, we've been baptized. We've received the word gladly. We're glad to be here. We're singing songs on a Sunday night. That day, 3,000 people were added to them. So again, 3,000 people is a lot back then. I mean, it's a lot today. But we see that what did they do after this? Verse 42. And they, who's they? The 3,000 people. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread 
and in prayers. So they, the saved people, devoted themselves to the teaching of the church leaders and they sat under it and they soaked it up and they devoted themselves to fellowship and community as church members. Verse 43 says they were, that fear came upon every soul and many wonders were done. So they were in awe with one another and they surrendered to see God work in their lives. Again, they, 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 the members of the body of Christ. They sat under the teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They were in awe of God and surrendered to God. Verse 44 and 45, they committed to support one another even if it cost them greatly. Now, even some of us extreme Baptists got off the, got off the bus on that verse. <laughs> Maybe the greatest example of how extreme they were about the local church is verse 45. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them up as there were needs. You don't get much more devoted to that, do you? Now, what do you do with this? What do we do with this in 2020, 2021? What, what do we do? You'll hear some say, well, church isn't as important as this or that, or this is just complicated. And, and you know, I get it. There's a lot of things on our plates right now. You know, in today's world, we, we're busy and, you know, family's important. And, and, and you got a lot of stuff that just kind of butts heads. And again, it's not about attendance. It's about, it's about participation. You know, I, I think, G, I don't know if Jesus was being serious or he was just kind of making, he was, if he was being completely off the ball when, when they, they confronted him one time, you know, his mom and his brothers were not fans of his movement. And they were trying to get him to kind of take a break because he was so, you know, uh, so hardcore with everything. And somebody said, hey, your mom and your brothers want to see you. And then Jesus comes back at them. And this is just so crazy. He says, here are my mother and my brothers. He just points to strangers. He says, whoever does the will of God, they're my family. Now, that wasn't, that's not Jesus saying he didn't care about his mom and his brothers. He loved them dearly. I mean, he was very passionate. He, was, he cared about his mother. He made sure she was took care of. He loved James. He loved Jude. He went to see him after he came back from the dead to see them saved. But the point is, Jesus saw everybody in the body as a family member. I think that's what we should take from that. So I'm not trying to make you question your priorities. I'm just reporting the facts. I think it's important that we consider our identity in Christ and ask ourselves how our lives are funneling towards our greater self. It doesn't have to be either or, church versus this or church versus that. Again, church isn't a place. It's a body. We are the body. It's important that, we, that whatever local body we're enjoined to, that we consider how we might live out this reality. And by no means is this all about sitting in pews and hearing a sermon. Otherwise, we'd be covered. This is about considering how devoted we are to growing individually, relationally, and communally as believers, as brothers and sisters, and as a body. How devoted are we? When we talk about what does the church need to grow, how devoted are you as a believer, as an individual? How devoted are you as a member, as brothers and sisters? How devoted are you as a part of the body? Verse 46 and 47 tells us that they were very devoted day to day with each other from house to house. That's what changed the world. We love to talk about how the church isn't what it used to be. Well, that starts with this scripture. Are we doing the thing that they did? So I've got a couple rapid-fire questions for you to consider. Write these down. Think about them. And if you disagree with me or think these aren't the issues, and maybe you can tell me what is. Are we devoted to learning the scriptures? Are we? Now, of course, a preacher starts out with that. I didn't start out with it. That's what 42 started out with. So are we, do we see the Bible as having the answers for our greatest needs and as being the most vital truth we can learn and soak in? 
In 2021, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of things the world are turning to for answers, but the Bible needs to be the thing we turn to more than anything. Are we devoted to learning the scriptures and putting God's word above our own wills? Are we also devoted, equally important, to fellowship with the church of God? Now, this is where it unravels because we just, we can't get along with our family, let alone people that we don't live with. I get that. But how devoted are you to overcome that? Are we in awe of who God is and what he is doing and have we surrendered to him so that he might work through us? Do we want to see God work in our lives? Are we in awe of him more than we are of anything else? Are we surrendered to him more than we're surrendered to anything else? If we aren't, we won't see him work. This is a big one. Would we put our kingdoms for sale if it meant adding to God's kingdom? I know most of our answers. But again, I'm just looking at these scriptures and saying this is what they did. I don't know if this would fix things for us. Not that things are wrong. I'm just saying, hey, I don't know if this would make, th- make a difference, but I think we got to consider it. Are we being the church from day to day in partnership with and on mission for our local church? Are we being the church from day to day? And if we aren't, how can we be? That's something for you to think about and something that I covet your prayers to help me figure out. If we are doing these things, then verse 47 will come true. God will add to their church daily. But let me tell you something. They weren't having services every day. So you know how God was adding to the church daily? I'll let you figure that out. It wasn't through the preacher. Not that the preacher wasn't responsible. It was was through everybody. Because everybody is a body that has a purpose in the body. I want you to consider all these as well as commit to praying about how we can be better students of God's word, better at being disciples, and better at making disciples. Because that's what this scripture is all about. They were being disciples, they were making disciples as a result. And how can we become more united and devote, devoted family, family uh, a, a more divided, excuse me, become a more united and devoted family of brothers and sisters that facilitates fellowship, in community. So help me pray about this. How can we, and I know COVID is through a wrench into all that and all this, but it's worth considering because when you quit doing things, it's hard to start them back even, let alone do things you've never done before. So how can we become a more united and devoted family of brothers and sisters, facilitating fellowship and community to those that are here and to those that aren't, especially? Beyond just what do we, what do we need to do to make a service better, what do we need to do to be better servants? If we want 2021 to be a year of growth, we've got to make it a year of devotion. And we are going to come back to this in a year. And we're going to answer these questions. And if I don't ask these questions, it's because I'm trying to dodge these questions. So hold me to this. In a year, we'll consider, have we been what the Scripture calls us to be? Our local body is a direct extension of the incarnated body of Jesus Christ. He came at Christmas, he rose at Easter, but he left us in his place. We are the body of Christ. As real as he was and is, we are to be that much present and real in our world. So how can we best or better represent and relate the incarnate Christ, the real, living, breathing Savior? Because that is who we are. What a sacred and awesome reality that is. And what a tremendous responsibility we bear. If you're willing to consider these questions, 
if you're willing to pray with me about these questions, a year from now, we can look back with appreciation for this truth, but with even more determination to not stop being the body of Christ that we are called to be. Thank you for your time tonight. I pray that this, service, this message will bring a lot of reflection on our hearts. And may we consider how we can be the body that Jesus calls us to be and that, quite frankly, deserves for us to be in his stead. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you and we're thankful for this truth. God, it's, it's so easy to dodge and avoid things like this, but it's, and it's uncomfortable, but it's also such a privilege to be called the body of Christ that I make up a member of this body and this body as a collective whole is as real and living and breathing as Jesus Christ is in heaven. God, I know there are so many local bodies in today's world, but all that really matters to me is what Risen Church does. And I pray that every member here could get that idea in their minds that we are the body of Christ, real, living, breathing bodies. And together we make the body. We represent Jesus and we can relate him to a world that needs him. So God, help us to consider these questions. Help us to consider how devoted we are, how under your word we are, and how united we are, how surrendered we are to you, and how committed we are to being the movement. God, thank you for these dear faithful people that have come here tonight to consider this scripture and to take it so seriously. And Lord, may you use it to inspire us and ignite within us a heart that won't settle for anything less than being the body full of bodies of men and women who represent Jesus Christ. We ask this in his amazing name. Amen.